without exception every single Sunday and every single Wednesday that I am driving myself over here, I sing to myself, sing choruses and things. And that song Carrie just played, that is, that, I sing that every sing, sweep over my soul. Cause that is my prayer for every time we meet together. Sweep over my soul. Don't let me just go through the motions. Sweep over my soul. That's, that's my prayer this morning. Let's bow together and ask the Lord for that blessing. Our Father, we bow before you, thankful and a grateful people. Father, how can we ever begin to thank you for your mercy and your grace to your people in our Lord Jesus Christ? Father, we're so thankful. We don't deserve the least of thy mercies. And how thankful we are you have not given us what we deserve. Father, you loved us when we're unlovable. You're merciful to our sin. You're forgiving to our rebellion. And it's all because of your son, because of his obedience and his precious blood, the blood of his sacrifice. Father, we're so thankful. And Father, we beg of you this morning that you would one more time give us the spirit of worship. Father, send your spirit upon us. Without your spirit, we can do nothing. We can't preach. We can't hear. We can't pray. We can't sing. Father, enable us this morning to have a true worship service. Let the name of our Lord Jesus Christ be exalted and and magnified in everything that is said and done here today. But we pray for ourselves in this class. We pray especially for our children's classes. That, Father, you bless this time. That you would use this time to plant the seeds of faith in their heart. We're so thankful for the children, the little ones that you've given to us. And, Father, we're thankful for the teachers that you've given to us to teach them. Pray you'd bless them. Father, we continue to pray blessing for those that you've brought in the time of trouble and trial. Heartbroken in deep, deep waters and uncertainty and sickness and heartache. Father, we pray you'd be with your people. How we pray you'd undertake on their behalf. And we're so thankful to be able to come and lay these cares at the sovereign of the earth. This we know, you're able. And Father, we pray that you would be pleased to to deliver, comfort, help your people. Now, Father, all these things we ask in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right, if you would now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. As I have studied this lesson this week, I've had three or four titles, but I finally settled on this title, Walk as Becometh Saints. I'm going to read our old text beginning in Ephesians 5, verse 3, and then we'll come back and make a few comments. Ephesians 5, 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. 
Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Now, in the first two verses of this chapter, Paul told believers to walk, to conduct ourselves as children of God, to walk in love for Christ, and love for his people. And that word or phrase, walk in, means to be occupied with. Make it your occupation to, to live in love for Christ and love for God's people. Now, walking in love for Christ and walking as a child of God, it means that we should do some things. Walk a certain way, conduct yourself a certain way, and it also means we should avoid doing some things. I want to remind us at the at the very start, this is the basis for this whole lesson. You can't understand these verses correctly unless you have this, this down. We, the believer, is to avoid some certain things here that Paul talks about, and we're to avoid them because God, by his grace, has already made us his children. The believer is not to walk this way, to conduct ourselves this way in order to become a child of God. No, we walk this way because we are a child of God. Already we're his children. We're a child who loves our father and wants to honor our father, not dishonor him by what we do. We're not to conduct ourselves this way in order to make ourselves holy. That's an exercise in futility. We're to conduct ourselves this way because God's already made us holy. See, a believer, if you're a believer, God made you that. He made you a believer. Now walk like what God's already made you. See, that's what Paul's telling us here. And this is also very important. If we don't get this, we're going to go the wrong direction with these instructions from the apostle. These instructions that I just read, these things that we're to avoid and things that we're to do in our walk as a believer, these instructions are given to me. They're given to me to judge my own behavior, to judge my walk, to direct my walk. They're given to you for you to do the same thing for yourself, to direct your walk. See what I'm saying? These things aren't given to us so that we judge one another and hold one another accountable that we that we act in a certain way. No, these instructions are given to me to examine myself. They're to direct my walk before the Lord. I'm sure of this. If I have the right attitude of the, in the believer's walk and in, in God's grace to us, I've got enough to deal with looking at my walk so that I don't have time to judge yours. <laughs> I'm sure that, that that's right. I just shouldn't have time to judge you. Your walk and to judge whether or not you, you're fit to be in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ. I That business between you and God. I got enough to deal with to deal with my own self, to keep my own self looking to Christ and trusting him. Now with that in mind, with that basis of this is our... our uh, Attitude, you know, so much of the believer's walk, and I've, I've tried to stress this as we've looked at it um, earlier, it, it's our attitude. It's our attitude. And with that attitude in mind, now let's look at these verses. Now, when I read these verses earlier, probably, you know, human beings being what we are, probably what stuck out to everybody is the sexual sins that Paul talks about here. He talked about fornication, and the word means adultery. 
It means any sexual relations outside of marriage. But you know what else that word is used for? It's used to refer to idolatry. Idolatry is seeking a spiritual union, to seek spiritual pleasure, to seek spiritual life outside of union with Christ. The word means both both of those things, both in a fleshly sense and a spiritual sense. Uncleanness has to do, again, it's with attitude. It's what we think on. It's impure desires and impure motives. Motives. Now, you know this good and well. I'm wasting my time to, to tell me and to tell you, don't ever have sinful thoughts. A believer has sinful thoughts because we still have that, that sin. We hate it. We think those thoughts come into our head. We, why in this world would that come into my head? You know, it's because we still have an old man. We have... Uh, we do think on, on sinful things and try as we might. The believer from time to time has impure motives. Motives to promote self and, instead of uh, helping others and instead of the, promoting the gospel of Christ. We have impure motives wanting, wanting to promote ourselves. We know we shouldn't, but we do. But I tell you what you can actively try to think on. Look at Philippians, just over a few pages. Philippians chapter 4. Now, you can't stop those thoughts from coming into your head. I know that. But we don't have to give in to them. Well, here's what we can actively uh, try to think on. Let's think on Christ. Let's think on him. Let's think on his glory. Let's think on promoting him. Philippians 4, verse 8. Now, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, they're venerable, they're worthy, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. (laughs) See, we can can think on those things, and that'll help our motive. You know, our motive always should be Christ, shouldn't it? Our motive should be what's best for his people. And if we think on these things, it'll it'll help us. Then in verse 4, Paul mentions filthiness. The word means obscenity it's just doing things that are obscene now isn't that our world today our culture today people do obscene things and revel in it think they ought to be praised for it you know there's nothing wrong with it Paul says don't walk in that don't be partakers with them in that then in verse 5 he mentions a whoremonger and the word means a fornicator or a male prostitute that's what it means and you know, spiritually speaking, that's what a false prophet is. A false prophet tells you what you want to hear in exchange for money. That's what he is. Then, verse 5, Paul talks about an unclean person. And the word means a morally unclean person. Just someone who simply does not live a moral life. Now, Paul says, don't walk in those things. I don't know they're in you, but don't walk in them. Now, these things, they're, they're sexual sins. They're immoral things and actions. The good, religious, moral people like us look down our noses at. And we disdain people that live in those things, even though all those sins are, are still in us. Those are things we just tended to, to disdain because more than likely, 
people here don't really have issues, you know, with those things. But now look at the other things. See, those are probably, as I read that, that's probably the things that, that stuck out in everybody's mind. But look what else Paul includes in this list. And since Paul includes these things in this list, that tells me they're just as wicked, they're just as evil as sexual sins and immorality that all of us are so upset about when we see in other people. In verse 3, Paul mentions covetousness. And he talks about a, a covetous man. Again, in, in verse 5, a covetous man um, hath no inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Covetousness is wanting something that doesn't belong to me. Wanting something that belongs to somebody else. It's greediness is what the word means. It, it's uh, Covetousness is not being satisfied. Here, This is what makes covetousness so evil. It's not being satisfied with what God's been pleased to give me. Now let me ask you, has God made a mistake? Has he ever made a mistake in anything? Anything. Then he hasn't made a mistake in what he's given me. But covetousness is finding fault with what God's been pleased to give me. It's it's, uh, not being pleased with the situation that God's, God's put me in. Covetousness is to question God's wisdom. It's to question his love for me, his provision for me. And I tell you how serious this matter of covetousness is. Paul says it's idolatry. It's idolatry. Well, that puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Then in verse 4, he talks about foolish talking. Now, foolish talking, this is the definition of the word. It's, it's foolish talk that, that's, that's bad in character. It's just a bad topic of conversation to start with. And it turns corrupt or turns lewd. It starts out bad and gets worse. That's what the filthy or foolish talking means. It's just, it's random, just kind of unguarded talking, which naturally reveals the vanity and sin of the heart. How easy it is to open our mouth and reveal the sin that's in us, huh? That's foolish talking. But you know another definition of foolish talking? It's disgraceful language, especially in the abuse of others. Talking bad about other, other people. And this talk is not unrefined. It's refined talk. It, uh, it sounds so civilized. It sounds so civilized. People, they, they say it in a tone. It sounds so wise and so religious. It, it's civilized sounding, but it's spoken with an evil motive because it's spoken with a motive of abuse, trying to tear down somebody else, even though you use a, a, a civil tone. I thought of the uh, well-known illustration of, of Southern ladies. They can say anything they want about anybody as long as they say, well, bless their heart first, you know. That's foolish talking. You, you know, you, you just make it, you dress it up. I say, well, bless their heart. But then you, you go on to abuse them, you know. Paul says, no, don't walk in that. Don't talk like that about, about your, about your, especially your brethren. Don't, don't do that. In verse four, it's jesting. Now, jesting is very similar to foolish talking. The word means acting. It means acting well, acting like you're on the moral high ground, but making fun of others. 
It's acting well. It's being a hypocrite is what it is. It's acting well on the outside, but having evil in your heart towards somebody else, trying to, to tear them down by innocently making fun of them. Now, Paul says that kind of behavior, it's not convenient. The word means fitting. It's just not fitting for a believer. Now, none of these things, sexual sins, immorality, covetousness, and hurtful talk, none of them, none of them, let, let them not once be named among you, Paul says. Let that not once be named in the church of God. That's not becoming to believers. Well, all right. Now, we're just going to be honest. All these sins are in every one of us, aren't they? They're in our nature. It's something that uh, that we think about. It's something that, that sometimes we want to do. Hopefully we don't act on it, but now they're in us. And a believer's been taught well enough to know this. I'm guilty of all of these sins. I'm guilty of every sin you can think of. I mean, I'm guilty of every one of them. If not in action, certainly in thought or motive, the Lord said to offend in one point is to be guilty of all. Then I'm guilty. You are too. We're guilty. But a believer can never think, well, you know, my sin, it really doesn't matter. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty, but it really doesn't matter because my sin is covered in the blood of Christ. So it, does, it doesn't matter what I do. I mean, I'm already guilty. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't just make much difference if I act on these sinful thoughts. Well, I fought it. I'm already guilty. May as well just act on it. And it's okay because, you know, the blood of Christ will put it away. Oh, yes, it does matter too. Yes, it does matter too. Now, again, remember we're talking about attitude. A person that thinks, now my sin's covered in the blood of Christ. Now, they're right up to there, aren't they? They're right there. What did it cost Christ to shed his blood for your sin? What did he suffer? Do I want to sin more then to add to that? No. No, 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 no. Of course our actions matter. You know, just because we have these sinful thoughts and we and these desires that, that, that come from our nature and, and we can't stop that nature, that sin nature in it, that doesn't mean we have to act on them outwardly. I mean, now there is such a thing as self-control. I mean, you, know, you can govern your, yourself a little bit here. I mean, we're not a, a, an infant that, that can't govern ourselves. You know, it's a, I've, we've got a, you all know this, we've got a four-month-old grandson. And uh, I had to get right down there next to him. And he just puts his hands all over my face. And he just, I don't think it's my white eyebrows or something. He's just fascinated with them, you know. But now he's four months old. He doesn't really have a lot of control, you know, over his, his limbs. And he'll just, he'll kind of hit my face some. And Jan says, don't let him hit you. I said, well, he can't help it right now. When he's got control, I won't let him. But he just, you know, he just, there is such a thing as self-control. We're not four months old. <laughs> Now there is such a thing as self-control. And I tell you what's, what's, what motivates the believer in this matter of having some self-control here. A believer. This is the most amazing statement. It's a child of God. 
God chose somebody like me to make him his child. I want to please him, don't you? If you're a child of God, you want to please your father. I don't want to offend him. I want to please him. God's forgiven our sin. He has forgiven every sin of every one of his people. But don't forget this. God's not indifferent to our sin. See what Paul says in verse 6? Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Now God's not going to punish his children for their sin. He already punished Christ for our sin, but he'll correct us. I'd just not, just soon not be a partaker of being corrected of Lord, wouldn't you? I'd rather please him from the get-go. I sure would. It's because of love. It's because of gratitude, because of thankfulness for what he's done for me. So these sins that Paul mentions here, now they're unbecoming. But every sin here, you can't think, you can't name one sin that, well, that's, that one's okay. That's becoming to a believer. No, it's not. No sin's becoming to a believer. So we're to avoid those. Don't walk in those things. Now Paul sheds some light on some things that are becoming to a believer. This is, and it's attitude. What is becoming to a believer is a genuine attitude from the heart. Now I know only God can give that heart, but when he gives that heart, now we can seek to cultivate it. We can seek to, to, to be fed and, and, and pray that we grow in grace. This is an attitude from the heart that will at least occasionally be shown in our actions, won't it? Here's the first thing. This, is, this motivates God's people to, to not walk in these things, but walk as becoming, as, be, as becoming to a child of God. God has made his people to be saints. He says in verse 3, let this not be once named among you as become as saints. Now what's a saint? It's a holy person. A holy person. You who believe, God's made you holy. He's made you holy. He, and here's how he did it. In the new birth, God gave you a new nature that's holy, that's perfect, that can never sin. A saint is a holy person. A saint is also a sanctified person. The best illustration of sanctified that I could think of is this. All those items that they use, that they gather together to construct the, the tabernacle, the, the gold and the, and the linen and the threads and all those things, the incorruptible wood, those are just all common things you find out there in the earth, aren't they? They're just common elements. Not, not one of them was a, was a super rare thing. But God sanctified those things. He set them apart. That's the other meaning of the word sanctify. He set them apart for holy use in the tabernacle. Well, that's what a believer is. A believer is a common, ordinary, sinful, guilty son or daughter of Adam. But God has sanctified them. He set them apart for holy use, for his use. He set them apart for the worship of him. He set them apart to, to help and serve God's people. That's what a sanctified person is. They've been, they're, they're holy. and They've been set apart for holy use. And God's the one who sanctified his people. The whole Godhead. God the Father sanctified his people in divine election. Jude said he was writing to them that are sanctified. 
by God the Father. Well, when did he do that? How, how did God the Father sanctify his people when he chose to save them? We chose them unto salvation. He set them apart for his holy use. God the Son sanctified his people by his sacrifice for their sin. By his sacrifice, he made his people holy. That's what the writer of the Hebrews says, chapter 10, verse 10. By the which will were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. His sacrifice sanctified his people. Put away their sin and made them holy. Then in Romans 15, verse 16, Paul talked about the Gentiles, the sinful, vile heathen, idolaters. Paul said they're sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Well, how is that wicked idolater, that, how are they made holy? When are they made holy? Same way you and I are in the new birth. In the new birth, when God the Holy Spirit causes a new nature to be born in us. Now here's, here's why there's this struggle for the, for the believer. Here's why there's this struggle with, with sin and, and impure thoughts and impure motives. It's because a believer has two natures. You know, if when God saved us, he changed our sinful nature into a holy nature, we'd still just have one nature, right? It'd be holy. And then we wouldn't have a problem with sin. But we do have a problem with sin. And the reason for it is we've got two natures. And both of those natures are really me. I've got a nature that's depraved and sinful and dead, and that nature is really me. And God, by his grace, gives me a second nature that's holy and righteous. And that nature is really me too. Both of them are really me. Now, by God's grace, he's, he's given a believer a holy, righteous nature. It has to live in this sinful body, doesn't it? One of the old writers I was telling talking to David this weekend about the one of the old writers talked about this body being a clay prison. God's given us that new, holy, righteous man, and he's got to live in this clay prison. He's got to live with this sinful man. Now, why do you want to take that new man God caused to be born in you and take him and, and subject him to fornication and uncleanness and covetousness and hurtful talking? Why would you want to do that? You don't if God saved you. <laughs> You don't want to do that. You want to avoid those things if God saved you. Not in order to be holy, not in order for God to love you, not in order for God to save you, but because he has. See, the new birth, this is an important doctrine. It's an important truth, isn't it? That motivates a believer. It's God's grace to us. And here's the second thing that's becoming to a believer. The giving of thanks. Paul in verse 4 says, Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Now rather than spend our time in foolish talking and jesting that, that tears people down, how about rather we spend our time in the giving of thanks? I'm going to have a whole lot less time to tear you down. Talk and use that kind of talk you know, to, to, to tear you down if I'm spending my time giving thanks. Giving thanks. Can you think of anything more becoming for a believer to do than give thanks? Oh my goodness, what God has done for us. Now, it's becoming, it's just right we thank God because everything he's given us, we didn't deserve one of them. He gave them to us freely anyway. And I tell you what, instead of tearing down our brethren, you know what will build them up? 
the giving of thanks. The giving of thanks. In verse 19, Paul says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's helpful talk, isn't it? That kind of talk, that's helpful to our brethren. And it's it's becoming to a believer. Because like I said a minute ago, we've got so much to be thankful for. For, I mean, how time goes, in very short order, we're going to be having Thanksgiving. Can you think of any holiday better for the believer to celebrate than Thanksgiving? Oh, what we've got to be thankful for. God the Father chose to save us when he knew how sinful we'd be. He knew how vile we'd be. He knew how rebellious we'd be. And he chose us anyway. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God chose to love us. He chose to love us. He didn't have to. He chose to love us when we were unlovable by nature. And he chose us anyway. And in time, he called us. Because he said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. He loved us when we were unlovable. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. God has forgiven all of the sin of all of his people. And you know how he did it? You know what is the basis of the forgiveness of God? It's the blood of Christ. The father had to sacrifice, had to slaughter his son in order to forgive our sin. Thank you, Lord. I mean, it's not just he said, I forgive you. He paid paid for the offense. We offended God. And instead of just saying, well, I forgive you, I won't mention it anymore. He paid for the offense with the blood of his son. Thank you, Lord. Then he called us by his gospel. He sent a preacher to us to preach Christ. And he called us by his gospel. We heard that message. And instead of saying that's foolishness, I'm never going back. He gave us faith to believe. He, he made us, he put us in the place where we'd hear the gospel and instead of hating it like we would by nature, he gave us faith to believe it, to believe Christ. I wouldn't have believed him any other way. Thank you, Lord. Then even after the Lord regenerated us, called us, you think of our sin, you think of our rebellion, you think of the, all the mistakes that we've made. You think how we're that wandering sheep that would just wander off and leave the shepherd. And God's kept us and preserved us in every danger, toil, and snare. Even though we don't deserve it. We just deserve for God to let us go. And he won't do it because of his grace. Thank you, Lord. And one day, right soon, God's going to glorify us. He's going to take us out of this clay prison and glorify us. Bring us into his presence to see him face to face and worship him forever without sin. Thank you, Lord. Lord, hasten the day. God has given us everything that he requires of us. He's given it to us in Christ. 
He's made his people to be holy and righteous. So that not that not they're acceptable, so they're accepted. Now you think of a, the miracle of that. God has made a sinner who can do nothing but sin, made them to be holy. I've got nothing. I've got nothing to bring to God. Nothing in my hand I bring, yet he's given me everything that he requires of me. Everything. How can I be covetous? If I've already got everything, there's nothing for me to covet. There's nothing for me to desire because God's already given me everything. Now when I think on that, that's just going to improve my attitude, isn't it? The more time I spend in giving thanks for what God's done for me, the less time I'll have for covetousness and foolish talking and jesting. That kind of attitude, that's becoming to a believer, isn't it? And that's the attitude I pray for every day. I pray God will give it to you and me both. It'll make this life a whole lot easier, won't it? Make it easier. All right. Well, I hope the Lord will bless that.